Good morning. I'm Pastor Sonia. I'm one of the pastors on the preaching team here at Catalyst, and I'll be preaching today. Did you ever read or hear about an ornamental crystal ball starting a house fire in Wisconsin? Apparently, the sunlight was streaming through the house window and hit the uncovered crystal ball, which then emitted a stronger ray resulting in a couch catching fire. No wonder the Delton Fire Department in Wisconsin put out a warning the following March, quote, to keep items like crystals, mirrors, glass, ornaments, and even bottles out of direct sunlight and away from flammable things. These items can act just like a magnifying glass and focus sunlight so that the energy, which would normally be spread out over a wide area, is delivered to a much smaller point, end quote. I walked around my home after this to make sure I didn't have any crystals, mirrors, glass ornaments, or bottles sitting in direct sun, which could potentially cause a fire. Here, I thought I only had candles or open flames to worry about. Reflective light can be helpful if it's used properly. A mirror can help brighten a room if it's in the right place. Crystals can reflect a ray of colorful light if properly placed as well. There's a small town in Norway, which is nestled between two mountains. Because of this, it sits in a shadow for half of the year from October to March. In 20, in 2013, the town set up three large mirrors on top of the mountain to reflect light from the sun down to the town square during these darker months. That's actually pretty crazy how strong reflective light can be. If you have ever stayed in a basement, even if there's windows, it's still pretty dark. Our home basement, we called the catacombs, was pretty dark even with six decent-sized windows. We had to strategically place lights and reflective objects to make the rooms brighter and not so sad-looking. It was helpful to have light reflect and brighten our home. There are certain times of the year that the sunlight would shine perfectly through the windows in the morning and evening, making the rooms bright, warm, and welcoming. I enjoyed sitting by the window during that time of day. Today, we're exploring how God's love reaches the world through us, like a mirror we're called to reflect God's love to the world around us. We don't always do that. So we'll explore what keeps us from reflecting God's love to our world. And we'll see how Jesus shows us what a faithful reflection of God's love looks like. Are we people of God who reflect God's love, grace, hope to other people around us? We'll also see how the church, the gathered believers of Jesus, must reflect his image to people, the community we are part of, and the world we around us. On that note, I want to invite you to sing with us. Nathan is going to lead us in songs of God's people. Let's stand, if you're able to, and sing together. Today is the second Sunday of Lent, which is a six-week journey we take with Jesus to the cross. It's a season we set aside each year for reflection, a time to ask ourselves if we're living in faith. 
both as individuals and as a church. Our series this year is called Broken Promises. Each week, we're exploring one of the covenants God made with the people in the Hebrew Bible. We'll see how and why the people fail to keep those covenants. That's our passageway to our own reflection. We're also going to see how Jesus kept each of these covenants in his own life and ministry. This is a reminder for us that we're not on this journey alone. We're always following our leader, Jesus. It's his faithfulness that enables our life of faith. It is in our faithfulness to come to the light, Jesus, that reveals we have the safety and security to explore our own feelings. Jesus' love and faithfulness create space for us to be honest about our own sin so that we can confess it and turn to him. Last week, we began with how God's vision encompasses every human person. This week, we will explore how God intends for us to reflect God's love to every human person. I'm kind of nervous whenever people interact with me. I'm an introvert. I'm also an Enneagram 5, which means I enjoy being alone and interacting with others can be draining to me. There are some days at work where I am so stressed and kind of frustrated. One day when I had a lot of work and a bunch of deadlines, it's one of those days that you keep getting interrupted. I was just trying to focus on the task at hand without breaking down. I felt so stressed and kind of angry. And oh my gosh, here comes another interruption from another department. But this person tells me I bring calmness to their day because I radiate or reflect a peaceful and kind spirit. I didn't even feel that way at the moment. And I was surprised that my demeanor was so pleasant. It was actually nice to be told that I didn't reflect anything angry or negative. It is kind of crazy to think that we actually reflect, radiate, or emanate a feeling or energy. We talk about vibes and senses. Do we vibe with someone? What does our senses say about the vibe or energy we feel from a person, group, or environment? If someone is really mean or hurtful, I am not going back to that place unless I really absolutely have to. And Native Americans have an Indian health service lady. Indian health services are hospitals. Um, and this lady is always mean. You try to avoid her like the plague. It's a sad fact that even shows up comically in this scene on the TV show Reservation Dogs. What type of energy or feeling do you think you reflect? Why do you think that would be important? Turn with us to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. The beginning of Genesis starts with a panoramic picture of God at work and what is God's vision for the world. Last week, Pastor J.R. discussed the beginning of Genesis and asked, Do I trust God's vision for our flourishing? Sadly, humanity does not, and sin becomes rejecting God's vision for the human community. From the beginning, 
God's love is reflected in how God created humanity. In that picture, humanity fails to reflect God's love by act of disobeying God. God, time and time again, redeems distorted humanity in hopes that they would reflect the light of God to the world. We get to Genesis 12, and the perspective closes in and is placed on one family. We meet Abram, and he is called by God to leave the safety of his homeland and travel to a new place he's never been before. God tells Abram, go to a place that he has yet to see. He will be blessed by God, and he will be a blessing to others as well. Abram, at the young age of 75, along with his family, left home becoming an alien. God uses this immigrant or sojourner to serve as a witness of God's blessing. God looks through the subject Abram and draws attention to what Abram will do for others around him. Not only that, God promises Abram and his wife Sari, a childless family, that they will be called a great nation. Let's read together. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. The word of the Lord. The Israelites and Near Eastern people understood blessings to be personal, favorable, and reciprocal because there was uh, there was first a foundational, mutual, and kind relationship with one another. Blessings meant more than wealth, prosperity, and success. The blessing bestowed continued through the faithful life of the person and their descendants. God intended for the light of God's blessing to shine onto Abram and then for Abram to reflect that light to the rest of God's creation. The use of this story connects all of humanity to God's blessing. God also uses those who intend to curse Abram to deflect off Abram and to be captured back to those who may curse Abram. God's covenant with Abram and the blessings that accompanied it is the basis of Hebrew history and faith. This story of Abram was an important text to the early Christians because it tells of how God's blessing became universal. God was not limited to one person, one family, one nation, one ethnicity, or culture. We are reminded of our Christian history. This Christian history connects us with people who are aliens, strangers, native-born, and foreigners. Our ancestral faith reveals migration, relocation, and exile occur whether it's the physical act of leaving one's homeland or the spiritual inner departure to find inner freedom. Connection with God is understood in each context. God's presence in the world is connecting the lived experiences and creating space for community as it was in the beginning and brings forward a blessing. Dr. Kathleen O'Connor writes in her commentary of Genesis, quote, 
Always the impulse of genuine Christian faith is active generosity toward the neighbor, particularly the poor and most vulnerable, no matter their national, ethnic, economic, or social identity. End quote. You are faithful followers when you reflect who God is as one who extends unbiased blessings. Our life as people of God is a continued journey with God where we must be faithful and follow. We can also use our voice for reflection. Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, published an article, Singing About Singing, Using the Voice as a Tool for Self-Reflection, explains how a person's voice is part of their individuality. Our voice, while singing and speaking, can tell of our emotional state and is reflective of our social and cultural identity. I think when we sing together, it can be reflected and it can reflect a beautiful image of God's shining and working in the world. It is good when we sing together. We combine our voice to connect and express to others a loving and redeeming God. It takes time to know how the sun will reflect perfectly. It took time for me to figure out how the sun would shine through our basement windows. I would adjust the blinds throughout the day to get the best rays of the sun. I figured out each season and moved the reflective objects so that it would radiate best throughout our home. I even would move my plants around so they would benefit from the sunlight. If you are unsure, if you are reflecting goodness, know that it takes time and is a learning process. Remember the Israelites and Near Eastern people understood blessings meant it was personal, favorable, and reciprocal. We see that relationships take time and reflecting God's love and blessing takes time to build a personal, mutual, and kind relationship. Turn with us to John chapter 3, verse 1 to 17. John's perspective zooms in and is placed on one guy, this Jewish leader, Nicodemus, who is inquisitive about who Jesus is. John tells us Nicodemus is a well-established, knowledgeable Jewish leader who is also a Pharisee. The other Pharisees John introduces us to a lot of stock in their lineage. They're God's people because they can claim Abram as their ancestors. But Jesus criticized them again and again because they weren't fulfilling God's covenant with Abram. Rather than reflecting the light of God's love to the world around them, they had become selfish and unjust. Now, here comes Nicodemus, and we wonder how he will approach Jesus. Does Nicodemus come ready to reflect God's love to the world? Or is he too wrapped up in his identity he's built for himself? We read in the New Testament, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. 
Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. The image we see of this night encounter is Nicodemus' coming out of darkness and coming to the light, Jesus. We see that Nicodemus recognizes Jesus comes from God by using the designation rabbi. And acknowledging the miraculous signs Jesus has done is because God is with him. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's room and be born again? Look at how differently Nicodemus responds compared to Abram. I'm thinking out loud. It's kind of difficult for me to fully trust God when I have no idea where I am going or what I need to do. You mean I have to be born again? Does that mean that I have a new life and identity? Is that something Nicodemus is really ready to give up? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirits. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind. I can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirits. Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus that he can't be Jewish. We don't need to let go of our ethnic identity. Dr. Walter Brueggemann helped me understand this. Jesus uses the language born again or better, born from above, born of God, birthed by God's goodness, recreated with a new identity by God's generous mercy. End quote. Jesus tells Nicodemus that being born of water and spirit brings about a new life that is not from the mortal world. That might mean this new life, this rebirth, could cost Nicodemus his position, his power, his privilege. Becoming someone who cares about the we more than the me might change his life so much that it feels like he was born again. What does this new life look like? In Galatians, Paul describes this new life. He says, the Holy Spirit gives us a life that produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires to their sinful nature to his cross. And crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. We come to understand that we must reflect God's love and mercy to the world. Because we are now born of water and Spirit. Jesus' miraculous signs reflected proof of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is reflected when the body of Christ 
the church lives out the gift of the Holy Spirit of love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our mortal ways of rejecting God's vision for humanity harms, divides, and brings others down. When we trust God's vision for humanity, the harmful sins are no more because we have been washed away because it has been washed away with our heavenly birth from above. We get rid of the curses of power, privilege, entitlement, and money. And in our world, doesn't that sound miraculous? Our ancestral patriarchs and matriarchs remind us that God created us to reflect God's blessing to the world. We must have a personal, mutual, and loving relationship with God. A journey with God is not one-sided. To have faith like Abram consists of journeying with God and reflecting the image of God who loves the world. John tells us about Nicodemus to remind us that in order to reflect the proper image of God, we must be born of water and spirit. Jesus sees us in all our limitations and calls us to return to God. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This Lenten journey, we learn that to be God's people, born of water and spirit, we must reflect God's non-condemning love and blessing to the world around us. One of the best ways that we can engage with God's non-condemning love is by coming to the communion table because it's at this table that we receive God's hospitality, God's welcome. Uh, Later in John's gospel, as Sonia said, uh, actually a few verses after his conversation with Nicodemus, uh, John tells us, uh, or rather Jesus says that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that all might be saved through him. And so we too come to this table not to be condemned, but to have a seat uh, at the same meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, the meal where Jesus gave us his own body and blood to, uh, to partake of, to be drawn into union with him and with one another. And so before we receive this meal today, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine. I'm going to give us some questions uh, to reflect on. And then uh, as after that, I will uh, have us all pray together. And then we will uh, receive communion together. Uh, So here's the first question I want you to consider. When in the last week have I reflected God's non-condemning love to the world around us? When have I reflected God's non-condemning love to the world around us? Now, what in the last week has kept me from reflecting God's love or maybe even has distorted 
the reflection that I offer to the world. Think about the week that's ahead of us. What are, some, what are some things that might get in the way of us reflecting God's love to the world or what might distort God's love uh, as reflected in our lives? Finally, how can I reflect God's non-condemning love to the world this week? Whether that world's in my house or out uh, you know, my neighborhood, job or my school, how can I reflect God's non-condemning love? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us this morning that we might see these two uh, followers, Abram and and Nicodemus, uh, separated by generations, and yet both men who heard your call to give up the lives that they had built in favor of something uh, much greater, a life with you. We saw the difference in their responses, how Abram responded immediately and chose to follow you, chose to be that one who trusted that if he put his faith in you, you would reflect your love through him to the, to the world. And then Nicodemus, who could not imagine a life that did not include the things that he had acquired for himself, the way he had built up his life, and so was reluctant to trust that you are as good as you say you are. We confess that far too often we find ourselves more like Nicodemus uh, than, than we do Abram. We are afraid to trust you with our lives. To trust that you are better than the things that we use to replace you. And so we confess that as we approach your table this morning. In approaching, we receive these elements and we pray that as we do, they would be a spiritual food that in receiving them we might too remember yet again that you are good and you are trustworthy and that your blessings towards us are personal and beneficial and reciprocal.
that in receiving this grace, you might bind us together as a church, that we might faithfully reflect your love to the world around us, a world that has already seen far too much distortion of your good news. Thank you for gathering us. Thank you for binding us together. Thank you for giving us your love and pouring out your blessings on us so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. We offer these prayers now, and we approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, at the, the meal that he shared with his followers the night before he was killed, Jesus took bread and broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body broken for you, taken and eat it. And when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, friends, as you're going today, of course, I want to say thank you to our volunteers and to all of those who give here at Catalyst who make it possible for us to do this week after week. Um, we know it's a sacrifice, both of time and money, and so we're just really grateful. Thank you for those of you who, who do that. Um, as you're leaving, a little bit of homework. So uh, this week we talked about Nicodemus. Next week we're going to be talking about the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets by the well in John chapter 4. And uh, these two stories, John positions next to each other on purpose because they sort of comment on each other. And we don't have a ton of time to get into all of the, the comparisons, you know, week to week. We're really focused on each individual story. So I wanted to invite you uh, to kind of do explore some of that on your own. Spend some time this week really reading through John chapter 3, taking in all of the things that Jesus is saying to Nicodemus uh, and the, sort of the way that the chapter unfolds from there. Uh, and then next week, we're going to do the same thing with the Samaritan woman. After we, after we talk about her here on Sunday morning, we're going to spend some time next week kind of exploring uh, the, the larger text because we just have time, you know, really to barely scratch the surface of both of these, these uh, people that Jesus encounters. And so uh, I just want to promise you that if you, you take some time over the next couple of weeks to really dig into both of these stories and explore some uh, time with both of these individuals, the Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, uh, you'll see some really, really cool stuff when we sort of read them together and read them, you know, kind of against each other. Uh, so uh, that's my challenge to you this week is to take, you know, two or three or four days to read through John chapter three and just, you know, read it two or three times, read it nice and slowly, kind of take your time with it and just, just sort of allow the Holy Spirit to draw your attention to various things in the text so that uh, when, when we come in next week to, to read through and work through what Jesus is doing with the Samaritan woman, uh, you have an opportunity to, to kind of hear some of what John is doing there as well. So, uh, if you would stand that, I want to offer us a blessing uh, as we go. Uh, Catalyst, as you're going this week, would you go knowing that, that God has called you to be a reflection of God's merciful and just love to the world around us? Uh, and so uh, if you are unsure what that means, well, the best way to make sure you're reflecting the light is to make sure that you're standing in. And like Sonia said, it can take a process of trial and error. It can take some experimentation. But the good news is that when we are faithful to look for Jesus uh, so that we can faithfully reflect his light, he is working with us to show us what it means to be faithful reflections of him to the world around us. So would you go, Catalyst, knowing that God has called you to reflect this, and the Holy Spirit is working with you to make you good and faithful reflections. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we will see you next week.